Okay. Um, the truth that I am sharing today, I'm going to give you the like, overall point right now, is that God turns towards us and restores us. And over the last few years, God has been highlighting this truth to me over and over again. It's like when you're going to buy a new car and you're starting to be interested in this car and now all of a sudden it's what you see everywhere. You're like, everyone has this car. That is what this truth is like. I see it absolutely everywhere. All throughout the Bible, every single story points to how God turns towards us and restores us. And I'm just going to share three of those amazing examples, well, four in the example of all the examples, but um, I'm going to let the Bible do all the heavy lifting today, and let's just get straight in because, yeah, I want to do a lot of Bible reading. All right, so we're going to start at the very beginning in Genesis 3, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to recap the story for us. So the story picks up after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, and they've listened to the lies of the snake instead of uh, trusting the goodness of God. And now they find themselves feeling exposed and full of shame and they cover themselves and hide. And the very first thing that God does in the midst of their mistake and shame is turns towards them. He comes to them in the garden right where they are and walks among them and calls out, where are you? And if you were with us for our youth take of last year, you might remember that the Hebrew word for where are you is Aika, which means where are you in relation to me? Where are you because I am right here? God doesn't push them away in their sin, but turns towards them and makes the first move to reconnect. He invites them out of hiding to see that he is right there. They were fully exposed, but fully seen and loved. And God had a restoration plan. He makes coverings for them, and then he takes them out of the garden and guards the entrance so that they can't eat from the tree of life and then be eternally stuck in this sin and pain and separation. And in the midst of their turning away, God is on their side, working for their good, providing and protecting them. And God promises restoration right there in the middle of their mess that the seed of Eve, as we just heard, will crush the snake's head, and which we know is Jesus Christ who died on the cross to conquer sin and death. We'll get to that in a minute. But God turns towards us and restores us. Now, I want to jump to a parable that Jesus told that gives us another beautiful picture of what the Father is like and how he turns towards us and restores us. And it is in Luke 15, if you want to flick there. Now, this might be a super familiar verse for you. and You might have heard it a hundred times, but I pray that God gives you a fresh revelation and a deep encounter with his love as we read it. So I'm just going to read the whole thing. So from verse 11 to 24 of chapter 15 in Luke. <laughs> that was roundabout saying the same thing. All right. Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Which is basically saying, Father, I want you dead. I want what you have, not who you are. 
So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in the land, and he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him to feed the pigs. The son was so famished that he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and thought, there are many workers in my father's house all, uh, who, all, who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young man set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed in rags. A great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him all over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. But the father interrupted him and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. I will put I will place it on his shoulders, bring me the ring, the seal of sonship, I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes that you can find for my son. Let's prepare a feast and celebrate for my beloved son, for this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive. He was once lost, but now he is found and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now I want to just go back and unpack a few things. So in verse 14, it says, humiliated, the son finally realized. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to realize the mess we're in. And that key shift was when the son realized, I need my father. He says in verse 18, I want to go back home to my father's house. It's the same for us. Sometimes it takes getting to the end of ourselves to realize our need for our heavenly father. And in that moment, things change. I call it like a breakdown, breakthrough, realizing like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I'm at the end of myself. I can't go on. But then realizing I was never meant to do this alone. I was never meant to do it apart from my father. I need God in my every moment. Psalm 61.2 says, For no matter where I am, even when I'm far from home, I will cry out to you for a father's help. When I'm feeble and overwhelmed by life, guide me into your glory where I am safe and sheltered. Psalm 34.6 says, When I had nothing, desperate and defeated, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me bringing his miracle deliverance when I needed it most. Psalm 56, 8 and 9. 
You've kept track of all my wandering and weeping. You've stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will be lost, for they are all recorded in your book of remembrance. The very moment I turn to you for a father's help, the tide of battle turns and my enemies flee. This one thing I know, God is on my side. And then in verse 20, the son It says, so the son set off for home. He turned back towards his father. This is a picture of what repentance looks like, doing a 180 turn away from sin in our own way towards the father. And the result of turning back is always restoration. Then says, from a long distance, the father saw him coming. The only way he could have seen him coming from a very, very long distance, if if the father was constantly looking out for him, scanning the horizon, watching, waiting expectantly. And he sees him and races out to meet him. He embraces him and pours his love and affection on him. I love this next part. Um, The son has this speech of like, I'm just going to be a servant. But before he can even finish it, the father says, son, your home now. He doesn't turn away and shame him. He doesn't point out all his failures. He doesn't give a big speech about how wrong he is. He turns towards him, embraces him and speaks those healing words. Son, your home now. The past is forgotten. This is who you are. This is where you belong. And I wonder If you need to hear those healing words today as you turn towards God and he runs to meet you right where you are and you hear, son, you're home now. Daughter, you're home. (laughs) It's so beautiful if you really get it. (laughs) But the father just doesn't do this with his words. He does it with his actions too. And there's four things that the father gives the son to restore him. He gives him his robe. It says, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. That quick urgency of saying immediate, instant restoration. The father is telling the son and all others that this is my son, placing his robe on him, restoring his position of sonship for all to see. And the father raced to meet him. This was not just to embrace him in love, but protection. Because in that culture, the son deserved to be stoned for what he did. He had no rights as a son anymore. He had taken all those rights and wasted them away. So the father running to him was an act of protection too, of embracing him and putting himself in between the stoning. The son was in rags, in the mess and sin he'd gotten himself in. But the father removed those rags and the dishonor and shame, and now the son is clothed in his father's robes, clean and free from his past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. The robe represented the Father's forgiveness, approval, 
love, identity, compassion, restoration, so many things. And then it says that the Father gives him his ring. And this is a symbol and of affection and authority. The Father was restoring the Son's dignity and his rights as a son. The signet ring in those days transferred all the power and authority of the father's name and household and business. So now the son could act on behalf of his father. And he gives him shoes. In those days, slaves didn't wear shoes. It was a symbol of sonship to wear shoes. And then he throws an extravagant feast, a celebration that his lost son is now found. There is so much joy and delight in the Father restoring him. And all these gifts affirm and restore that this is my son. And he does the exact same for us. In Galatians 4, 6 to 7, it says, And so we know that for sure we are his true children. God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving our hearts to cry out intimately, Father, you are my true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're him, we can access everything our father has for we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah that is a massive promise and what is so clear in both this story and in Genesis is the incredible mercy and grace of God his mercy not getting something that we deserve like death and being totally cut off and his grace getting something so good that we don't deserve to be called sons, to have life to the full, to have all that the Father owns, to have his forgiveness and restoration. Psalm 103, 8 says, Lord, you are so kind and tender-hearted with those who don't deserve it, so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. God turns towards us and restores us and the ultimate turning towards us and restoring us is Jesus coming to earth in the middle of our mess paying the ultimate price with his life to prove God's love the greatest demonstration of his mercy and grace coming to us as one of us taking the punishment we deserved on himself and exchanging it for the life and restored relationship with him. In Romans 8 or 5 8, it says, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. In Colossians 1 20 to 23, it says, And by the blood of Christ's cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to original intent restored to innocence again. Even though you are once distanced from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now... There is nothing between you and Father God 
for he sees you as holy, blameless, flawless, without a single fault and restored. If indeed you continue to advance in faith, believing Christ died and rose again, assured of the firm foundation to grow upon, never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. There's one more story I want us to read. It's in Luke again, 22, and verse 32 to 33. And it's such another beautiful picture of Jesus turning towards us and restoring us. And just for context, Jesus has just shared the Last Supper with his disciples. So he has just broken the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And just shared the wine saying, this is my blood poured out for you, knowing that every single one of these disciples are about to abandon him and walk away. He is still giving them this gift and saying, I am doing this for you. Crazy. But we're going to pick up verse 32. This is Jesus. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. It's so beautiful. Jesus promises restoration before Peter's greatest failure. He says, after you have turned back to me and been restored. Jesus knows he is about to fail, but he promises restoration. And he also gives Peter his purpose and mission, knowing he is about to turn away. He says, after you have turned back to me and been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Our calling is not dependent on our not failing It is dependent on our turning back. Jesus knows that we are going to fail, but he promises to restore us. And then if you flick over to verse 60, I love the timing of God. It says, verse 60, but Peter was adamant, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you understand? I don't even know him. This is his final third denial of Jesus. I don't even know him. While the words were still in his mouth, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord, who was being led through the courtyard by his captors, turned around and gazed at Peter. All at once, Peter remembered the words of Jesus had prophesied over him. The very moment that Peter failed was the very moment that Jesus turned towards him and looked at him. He didn't turn away in disappointment, but he turned towards him and looks right at him with eyes of love and grace. I see you, who you really are. This failure is not you. You are who I say you are, Peter the rock. And even in our greatest failure, He turns towards us so that we can turn back towards him. He paid it all for us to be restored to him. Turning back is repentance. It starts with God turning towards us, making the way. And he has already made the greatest move towards us, already made the way, Jesus 
so that we can turn back to him at any time, anywhere and be restored. Acts 3, 19 to 20 says, Now repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away completely and times of refreshing will come from the Lord's presence. Repentance is the gift of choosing again the one who is always choosing us. It is the gift of turning back towards the one who is always turned towards us, always on our side, always for our good, always close. And the promise of repentance, of turning back, is our sins will be wiped away completely and times of refreshing from the Lord's presence, instant restoration and connection. What a gift of repentance. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He is so loving, it will amaze you. So kind, it will astound you. He is famous for his faithfulness towards all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted, for he keeps his promises to every generation. And 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even if we are faithless, he is full of faith, for he never wavers in his faithfulness towards us. Romans 2.4 says, It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is understanding his goodness, that he has turned towards us, that he has his arms wide open, ready to receive and restore us, that leads us to run towards repentance as a gift, knowing that it brings us into the refreshing presence of God. And the Bible is bursting full of stories of how God turns towards us and restores us. This is one of the major overarching themes of the Bible, and it is who God is. And because of Jesus, he not only turns towards us, but he now lives in us. Romans 5, 5 says, We know how dearly God loves us because he fills our hearts with his love through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Gav, wherever you are, if you can come and do some finger work. Let me read it again. Romans 5, 5. We know how dearly God loves us because he fills our hearts with his love through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. How do we continually turn towards or turn back to God? We rely on the Holy Spirit who lives in us. How good is God? He gives us a helper to turn away from the things that are not good for us, that separate us and turn towards the one who truly satisfies that helper isn't distance. It's not far out that we have to try and gain, but he lives in us closer than our breath. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help reveal and help us receive the Father's love for us. We can ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us in his ways. 
we can ask the Holy Spirit to forge holy awe and reverence and respect for God so that we want to move and delight his heart. So we want to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We can ask Holy Spirit to keep our eyes on God, to keep our hearts open and tender towards him, to set our minds on his truth, to keep our ears open and listening to his words. We can delight in his conviction when he is revealing that we are turning away and his invitation to turn back, to be restored. We can continually turn towards God because he first turned towards us and has restored us to himself. So we are going to take a t- uh, move into a time of communion to reflect on all that God has done on who he is, on all the ways that he has turned to us in our lives, including the incredible treasure of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We can take this time to turn towards the one who has continually turned towards us, to thank him for the gift of repentance and the freedom that we have to turn back and be restored. The word communion sounds like come union, to thank God that he now lives in us and we are united with Christ in his death with our past and our old ways nailed to the cross and in his resurrection, having life in him. Come union, remind us, Lord, of what is already true, that you live in us, help us live in you and continually turn towards you. So, as um, yeah, when you feel ready, just come up. There's communion here and here, and yeah, just spend that time with God, just thanking Him that He has made the way for us. And I don't know what you need to do in this moment. If you feel like, oh, there's there's repentance, I I, I need. I, I need to turn back to you. I, I need to see, I need my father and hear those healing words. Son, you're home now. Daughter, you're home now. Let's just come and spend some time turning towards the one who has turned towards us.